Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, I'm also the founder of Novus Mindful Life Institute, Family Counseling and Recovery in Long Beach, California. If you or anyone you know is struggling with any of life's challenges, please reach out to us. You can find more information about us at theaddictedmind.com forward slash help. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please share it with a friend, someone you think might benefit from the information in the podcast. I'd really appreciate it. And that would be awesome. And if you're enjoying it, think about going to iTunes and leaving a review as well. That is really helpful and I really appreciate it. And it gets us a lot of exposure in iTunes and helps other people find the podcast. And if you want to continue the conversation outside of the podcast, you can join our Facebook group. You can go to Facebook and just type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. Love to see you there. So we are on to episode 70, and today's guest is Leslie Cole. She is an addiction medicine physician and works specifically with people who are struggling with opioid addiction, although other addictions as well. She talks about her journey of recovery from an eating disorder and also her struggle with some health issues that led her to release her recent book that she finished, which is called Quit Pain Pills. And it's a pretty powerful story of how we can take all of our suffering and turn it into something positive and to turn it into something that can help other people with their suffering. So I really enjoyed talking with Leslie. It was a great conversation and uh, she's so compassionate and kind and you can just hear that in her voice. And I think any of her clients that come and work with her probably are very, very lucky. So anyway, I think it's a great episode. I think that you'll like it. I think that you'll get a lot out of it. So um, let's go ahead and uh, start it. All right, everybody, welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Leslie Cole, and she is going to talk about uh, some of her work working with people who struggle with opioid addiction. And um, Leslie, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, Leslie Cole, I'm a physician 
and I live in Nashville, Tennessee, but I'm working with a clinic outside of Nashville in a rural town called Springfield. I work in a, an addiction recovery clinic. So we see mostly people recovering from pain pills or heroin. And, and a lot of, there's also some people recovering from meth, amphetamine, and um, sometimes alcohol, but not as much. But not as much. So tell me a little bit about what got you into this field as a physician and getting into the addiction field. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I had been an internist for for 20 years and had my own struggles had taken me, I, I'd had some eating disorder struggle and had not realized that I was having eating disorders until it just suddenly I realized, oh, this is what's going on. And during that time, I became familiar with the 12 steps and saw myself really needing uh, step one, two, and three. So I started reading all this recovery literature that was healing and fascinating and thought, gosh, if I could ever do that, that's what I would want to do. Then out of the blue in 2013, a addiction clinic called me to see if I wanted to work with them and took the job, got so fulfilled by the conversations I was having with the people and realizing, oh, I really have something to offer. So I got a certification in addiction medicine and now do this as a regular, as my, instead of internal medicine. So kind of through your own healing, you kind of found an avenue to take that and give that away. And I think that happens a lot in addiction treatment and we see it a lot. Yeah. I have not struggled with pain pill addiction. And I have several physicians that I've worked with who have, but it's a lot of the thinking is so similar that I can see what's going on a lot of times and have a patience with helping people. Right. So tell me a little bit about how your approach to helping individuals who are struggling, especially with pain pills. I I think a lot of people come in now who would not necessarily, they don't fit the stereotype type that we think of the addict, right? And they come in and they're struggling with these pain pills, especially now with all that's going on with the opioid crisis. But uh, tell me a little bit how you work with them and how you approach, approach this. Well, I think the thing that I feel like is most important is that is for me to find a sense of enjoyment and delight with the person and for the person to have a sense of it and for the person to feel a sense of welcome because there has been such a stigmatizing and shunning of the person in, in society and from their families, from churches. So the very first thing is just wanting to help them feel very welcome, very, you know, we're glad you're here. But this, the thing to keep in mind that I always keep in mind is there has been a pain that has started this. and. Everyone who comes into the clinic gets a, an ACE questionnaire, the Adverse Childhood Event Questionnaire, and most of them have pretty significant scores. So to keep that in mind and have counseling as well as medication to control the cravings while they're getting healing, that's my general approach. 
Can you talk a little bit about for people who are listening and they don't understand, they don't know what the ACEs study is? Can you, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's so important. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. So the ACE study, basically, it was uh, a man who was helping people with weight loss, and there would be people who would do really, really well and then drop out and not come back, even though they had been doing really well, and he eventually. I have forgotten his name, like Festelli or Faselli. I, I can't remember his name, but he did a study and saw that the people who tip, typically dropped out had certain childhood events. Like they may have had a parent they didn't feel safe around, a parent who went to prison, a parent who had an addiction. They had heard abusive language in the home or they saw a parent abusing another parent. And the number of the number on the questionnaire of yeses they got was a higher predictor of whether they would drop out of clinic. Now we see that those answers, the the higher the number of adverse childhood events a person has, the higher their likelihood of substance use disorder or addiction, or even all the other medical problems, heart attack, stroke diabetes, all of these things, early death. So it's very important to know what people have been through as kids. Right. I mean, it really showed that our childhood is a big predictor of our physical health and mental health. Yes. And if we have these adverse childhood events, and I think some of them aren't always recognized either, neglect or some of these more, some people call little t traumas, that are just normalized, you know, or they're, they're kind of so often, you know, when you're, when you're neglected, you might not hear uh, abusive language or you might not, it might not be physical and, and very overt, but these adverse childhood events of just neglect or just being ignored can really create difficulty in the future and kind of prime you or prime us, I guess, for addiction. Totally. Yeah. I totally agree. Like I, there are some things I think that could be added to the adverse childhood event scale. There's not really a good neglect questionnaire. There's also not one where did you ever see your mother injure your father? And we have, it's only the father towards the mother. Um, so I think the ACE questionnaire misses some things. But along your point, the thing that just gets me the most is how people thought that what they grew up with was normal, was normal. Right. So that's one of the biggest parts of treatment at some point is to help the person go, this wasn't normal. And that's why it hurts so bad. Right. It wasn't supposed to be that way. And that's why you're hurting so bad. So you talked a lot about um, earlier, and I guess we should go back a little bit. You reached out to me to be on the podcast because you had heard another episode with Tim Sitt about uh, that self-connection, and um, it really meant a lot to you. So you reached out to me and kind of wanted to be able to share as well. Tell me a little bit, because you talked a little bit earlier about how welcoming people in is so important. Yeah. Okay. So... When I was listening to your Tim Sit podcast, talking about the connection to the self, it brought back the feeling I had the day I was sitting with my therapist and he said, 
Did you know that you have a relationship to yourself? And it was like the biggest aha. I was 35. I did not even realize I had a relationship to me. And he said, that right there is the most important relationship you have. Through that lens, you will relate to other people. Through that lens, you'll relate to a higher power. Through that lens. And you get to think about how you want to be a friend to yourself. It got me so excited that I just started journaling about that. And it hit me. I had never been taught that. I don't know why I had never heard that until that day. And so I assume, you know, now I assume, well, people may not realize that they have a relationship and it can be a friendship is sometimes is an enemy. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) It sometimes is really adversarial and it's based on how you saw your parents or your authority figures as kids relating to each other and how they related to you. And it can be relearned. Right. And kind of going back to what you were talking earlier about the adverse childhood events, if that's what you was modeled to you, that kind of relationship, you take that into your adulthood and that's the relationship sometimes you end up having with yourself. Yes. And then, you know, going back to being welcomed into treatment Yes. And compassionately received, even though you're struggling, because you can't do that yourself. You need those other people to be able to help you at least start that change. Exactly. So it feels like, and I will say this, there is, when I was first seeing this, I was kind of, I wanted to put my hands up and push back people who were too friendly or too close or to whatever, because I didn't trust that. And so I think it's just kind of beginning to be a friendly, kind-hearted observer of the people and to offer a real non-judgmental, yeah, that's okay, you know, oh, well, you took a pain pill today, that's okay. You know, this is not, there's not perfection here. So the non-judgmental friendly just continuing to be that week after week after week, I think is an influence for positive. And I see it helps with people coming back even when they've had a little relapse. Right. They feel like they can come back without all that shame and guilt. Yeah. To say, look, I, you know, I'm not being totally successful here. I'm struggling, but you still accept me and will help me. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I I think that's just so important because there's so much shame and guilt in the addictive process that uh, any more added on in treatment, I just don't think works. It doesn't work at all. Yeah, I agree. You know, I I don't know where I heard this, but, you know, one of the, the thoughts I had is that addiction never heals through shame. It only heals through love and compassion and kindness. Exactly. Shame makes it worse. Fear makes it worse. Judgment makes it worse. It just makes the hiding bigger. It just makes you want to hide. Right. So you also have a a book that you wrote, Quit Pain Pills, right? Tell me a little bit what motivated you to write that book and, and put that out there. Well, the year before I wrote the book, I wrote the, it, the book came out in December 
of 2018. Um, but the year before that, I had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And the year before that, my sister had gone through breast cancer. And so I had been reading through, you know, just thinking about hope. Where do you find hope? Now, when I got diagnosed with breast cancer, it ended up having metastasized to a lymph node. I had to get chemo. I decided on a mastectomy. And I was really feeling like all of my regular tools that I used to help me kind of stay okay were not working. I needed to go farther. And what I found in the community of people helping me with cancer was there was so much, there was no judgment. There was hope everywhere. There were people pouring out to help me, giving me just generous love, money, you know, uh, little things to take to chemo. And at towards the end of that, I was really feeling a desire to write about all these things that I had feel, felt like I was growing in. And when I came back to work, it was as if I saw the stark contrast between how people felt that they and actually were being treated who were trying to recover from their addiction versus people who are trying to recover from cancer. How maybe a pharmacy would would treat the patient badly. And yet I had been treated so well when I would go and get what I needed at the pharmacy. And so I thought, you know what? I think I want to write a big old non-judgmental, hope-filled book. Like if I could talk to all the patients who don't want to go into treatment because they're afraid of being stigmatized, I want them to have this book where they could go, ah, oh, well, there is at least one doctor who is pouring no judgment, no condemnation and hope. And so that's why I wrote the book. Wow. So you really saw the contrast of how someone struggling with addiction is treated versus someone who's struggling with cancer and firsthand able to see both could really see that difference and wanted to take that and put put that hope that you get when you have cancer into that addiction treatment. And, and wow, that's a great story. Yeah. And so I wrote it just right at the tail end of my, you know, I had just finished chemo. And um, so I wrote it over the course of about three months and um, just poured everything I could into it. What a great gift for people to be, to, to give that of yourself and, and to, um, inspire people with that message. Yeah. Okay. So another thing I'll just add is I also realized that when I have been the most down, I've not been able to talk to anybody, but I've been able to listen to a book or listen to a podcast or read a book. And I'm able to do that with my guard down. And so that was another reason I wanted to write it so that people could read it when their guard was down. But I also read it, and it, so there's an audiobook version also, because some people need to hear the voice of the person to kind of get their personality to go, do I think they're legit, or are they just, right. is it just a bunch of baloney? Yeah, totally. So people could get this message, even if they're kind of, 
I guess, maybe locked in their shame or their guilt or whatever, you know, sometimes that's where we start, right? We start with a podcast or we start with a book or we start somewhere there. And then maybe we go and get the courage, you know, summon up the courage to reach out to someone who can help us. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that is exactly what I'm hoping that this book will do is the person will go, ah, you know what? I think I can do this. I'm going to look for a clinic. I'm going to look for the kind of person that she's talking about in a doctor, in a therapist, you know, whatever, psychiatrist, counselor, whatever. So you kind of help people. uh, Tell me a little bit about that. So like finding that kind of person that will help them. Okay. So I did write about this in the in the book in that I want people to recognize non-judgment, non-shaming, non-demoralizing versus judging, shaming, demoralizing. Because I think there are a lot of a lot of doctors who don't recognize that they do have a bias, people who are addicted. And so it's just important that if you are feeling like, you know, a relationship struggle with your doctor, Mm -hmm. look around for someone else right? who is not going to have that because you've got to begin to feel a sense of safety and trust. Right. And I, I think there's still that, I don't know how to call, how to say this, but like the old belief system that addiction was a moral failing, you know, like somehow you just shouldn't do it, you know, don't do it. I mean, most people who struggle with addiction know they, they, they know that, you know, we know that. And, you know, it, it has nothing to do with morality. This is a brain problem and it needs treatment, but that leaks in, that still leaks in. You know, we get that all the time. I think with eating disorders or obesity or drugs or alcohol or whatever, you know, you go somewhere and and the help is, well, don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. That doesn't help (laughs) too much. (laughs) Exactly. And you know, that is that is one thing my own therapist said to me, you know, 15 years ago was, well, we all know what we should do, but almost none of us know how to do it. Yeah. And I think it's true across the board for every single human being. Oh, uh, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And we need the support of other people. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully we can, part of like even doing this podcast is to get that message out there of hope and and, uh, healing to people out there who feel so alone. Yeah. That you're not. And you're human and you're, you're struggling like all the rest of us kind of walking through this life. And um, sometimes we, we don't know and we, we don't have the answers and we do things we probably shouldn't and make mistakes and all of that. Exactly. Exactly. All of us do. All of us do. Yep. So out of your experience of suffering, you know, cancer and all the I would imagine all the fears and anxieties that go with that, you were really able to take that and transfer it to your other part of your your work, which is addiction treatment. Yeah. And I would say, I'll just throw this in there, that I also, okay, so going bold, having a mastectomy, uh, just all of that whole thing where my, 
my sense of myself just kind of really radically changed. I got very insecure in my relationships and especially insecure. Was I at all attractive to my husband? And he would totally reassure me. Oh, you're still, I love your bald head. I can pat it. I love it. But still, I, I was like, I just don't know. I feel insecure. Right about that time, I discovered the emotionally focused therapy work by Sue Johnson. Right. Yeah. She's great. Oh, and it, as I'm reading through that, I'm realizing this is what I need. And this attachment, these attachments, this is what my sweet patients need too. They are missing this. All those ACE, all those adverse childhood events caused a lack of healthy attachment. Right. And when you don't have healthy attachment, there is pain, anxiety, and a substance is sometimes the perfect thing to just make things better, Yeah. at least temporarily. It helps. So that safety and love and the self-relationship all together. So go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with that. It, it's like um, these attachments that we have, uh, you know, they're, they're just primal to what we need. And if, if we, we can't feel safe in them or, or we don't feel wanted or we feel so alone and lost. Yeah. And, um, and even when, yeah, I guess even in times of crisis and strife, especially addiction, because sometimes we've hurt the very people that we love the most through our addiction. We definitely really feel alone and need those healthy attachments and need to rebuild them and need to learn how to nurture healthy attachments to others. But as you said, also definitely a healthy attachment to ourselves. Yes, a healthy attachment to ourselves. Exactly. Right. And that comes in many different ways. And um, we can do that in many different ways. And that's part of the journey. Yes, exactly. All right. So as we kind of get closer to the end here, if anybody's out there and they're listening to this, and um, what would be the one thing you'd want to tell them? What would be the message you'd want to give them? The, the message I would want to give them to the person who thinks there is no way that their life can change. They are so hopeless, they're beyond repair. I want them to know that as if they are alive right now, they are not beyond help. People can make a change that is 180 degrees different after they come into a rehab or a recovery, or a detox, or a clinic like we have, an outpatient clinic to take care of people. I have seen people who thought nothing was going to help them. And they come in, and the next week, they're on the path to recovery. And I see them, and they stay in. So uh, so the person out there, this could be you. Give yourself every possible chance. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Give yourself every possible chance. That is great. Thank you. So if people want to know more about you, how can they find you? They can find me at, I have a website, www.quitpainpills.com. And my email, they could email me. The contact information is there, but it's info at quitpainpills.com. 
I have my ebook there at the site, the audiobook, and some blogs on whether buprenorphine is addictive and is it, you know, how, why do we think it's a moral failing, those types of things. And I have a new course that I just put out for people to learn how to do that self-relationship, to learn those quiet meditative things, those journaling techniques, things that will really, really help them. Awesome. All right. So, uh, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. Thank you for your message of hope. I've totally enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I just keep up the good work. You're doing great, too. Oh, thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. You can find all the show notes and links at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 70. Once again, if you're liking The Addicted Mind and you know somebody that would like it as well, please share it with them, share it on social media, uh, get it out there. I'm hoping that this information can help a lot of people. Also, if you like what's going on and you like the podcast, please go to iTunes and rate and review it. That really does help and that really gets iTunes to show the podcast to people who are searching for information about addiction. So I really appreciate the reviews and uh, I do read them and they mean a lot to me that people are getting a lot out of the podcast. And if you'd like to take this conversation offline, you can join our, I guess it's not offline, it's on Facebook, but you can join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast will come up and click join and be on that conversation as well. So until the next episode, I hope you have a wonderful day. Take care. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.